right, welcome back to From A to Arbitration. And today, we're getting into the just cause principles. If you're a new shop steward, and you get disciplined if a carrier brings you a letter of charges, letter of warning, 7-day, 14-day, whatever, and you're like, where in the world do I start with this discipline? Well, you start at the just cause principles. That's your blueprint. That's the, if you're building a building, a house, that's your codes. <laughs> that's, that's what you go by, is the just cause principles. You start right there. And today, we're going to get into the first one. Is there a rule? Each just cause principle, I'm going to make an episode and try to cover it as thoroughly as I can. Some will obviously be longer than the others. But today, we're going to be talking about the very first just cause principle. Is there a rule? First off, I want to read from El Cori and El Cori. I know that I read from this a lot, but it's a great book. If you have it or you can look it up, it's uh, How Arbitration Works, and it's kind of the Arbitrator and Advocate's Bible. It's got some great stuff in it, and here's what it talks about just cause, and it's, and it's very good. Uh, the language about it is very good. So I'm going to read this to you, and then we'll get into the just cause principle, all right? But this talks about just cause. It says, Scope of Management Rights on page 610. It says, In the absence of a collective bargaining agreement, which we're not concerned about, it is generally agreed that the only restriction on management's right to discharge and discipline employees is that contained in federal and state labor relations acts or other laws dealing with discrimination. The same result might be reached where a collective agreement exists but contains no express limitation on such right. Where an agreement expressly recognized the right of management to discharge and contained no express limitation upon that right, an arbitrator was unwilling to read a just cause limitation into the agreement. However, many arbitrators would imply a just cause limitation in any collective agreement. For instance, Arbitrator Walter E. Bowles held that a just cause basis for consideration of disciplinary action is absent a clear proviso to the contrary. Now, proviso just means a provision attached to an agreement, like, I'll let you buy this dog, but you're going to have to name it Corey. That's a proviso. That's a provision attached to an agreement. Okay, so he says a clear proviso to the contrary, implied in a modern collective bargaining agreement. The reasoning is, if the company can discharge without cause, it can lay off without cause. It can recall, transfer, or promote in violation of the seniority provision simply by invoking its claimed right to discharge. Thus, to interpret the agreement in accord with the claim of the company would reduce to a nullity the fundamental provision of a labor management agreement, the security of a worker in his job. And that's the, that's the best language that you can read about just cause. It's the security of a worker in his job. It means that management cannot fire me at will. They cannot fire me because of the color of my skin. They cannot fire me because of my gender. They cannot fire me because of my work ethic is different than another carrier's work ethic. It makes us all equal, and that's what he's talking about the security of a worker in his job. I'm secure in the fact that I can come to work every day and work. And as long as I'm doing my job, I'm secure in the fact that I don't care how atrocious management is, 
they cannot just come and fire me because of how I look, how I talk, how I act, who I'm associated with. If they don't agree with my sexual preference, they cannot fire me because of any of those things. I'm on a level playing field with everybody else. And that's the beauty of Just Cause. He goes on to state, Moreover, in at least one case, it has been held that management does not have an unrestricted right to discharge at its own discretion, even where no bargaining relationship exists since the fair and generally accepted understandings of the employer-employee relations is that there are obligations on the part of both parties and that an obligation on the employer is that an employee shall not be dismissed without cause. Most collective bargaining agreements do, in fact, require cause, or just cause, for discharge of discipline. The general significance of these terms was discussed by arbitrator Joseph D. McGoldrick. He states this, It is common to include the right to suspend and discharge for just cause, justifiable cause, proper cause, obvious cause, or quite commonly, simply, for cause. There is no significant difference between these various phrases. These exclude discharge from mere whim or caprice. That's what I was talking about earlier. They're obviously intended to include those things for which employees have traditionally been fired. They include the traditional causes of discharge in the particular trade or industry, the practices which develop in the day-to-day relations of management and labor, and most recently they include the decisions of courts and arbitrators. They represent a growing body of common law, that may be regarded either as the latest development of the law, of master and servant, or perhaps more properly as part of a new body of common law of management and labor under collective bargaining agreements. I like how that sounds better. They constitute the duties owed by employees to management and, in their correlative aspect, are part of the rights of management. They include such duties as honesty, punctuality, sobriety, or conversely, the right to discharge for theft, repeated absence, or lateness, destructions of company property, brawling, and the like. Where they are not expressed in posted rules, they may very well be implied, provided they are applied in a uniform, non-discriminatory manner. Some agreements enumerate specific grounds for discipline. It has been ruled that the fact that an agreement specifies certain types of misconduct for which employees may be discharged does not mean that causes not expressly stated may not be used where the grounds enumerated are merely illustrative and not exclusive. Similarly, the listing of certain offenses in written plant rules does not necessarily exclude other offenses as ground for punishment. Arbitrators have held that a contract giving the right to discharge for cause and making no reference to other forms of discipline does not deprive management of the right to impose forms of discipline less severe than discharge, which we don't have to worry about because ours does. It talks about progressive rather than punitive. Discharge may be too severe a penalty for the offense under the circumstances of the case. Asserting that discharge inevitably casts a shadow on a worker's character and reputation An arbitrator would not permit discharge for lack of work where the agreement required just cause for discharge. This has nothing to do with us. The arbitrator is stating that layoff is the proper action in case of lack of work. Other arbitrators, too, have held that discharge is limited determination due to fault of the employee. So that's how El Cori and El Cori talks about it, and that's fantastic language. That little part I talked about, the security I have in my job, 
That's the beauty of just cause. So there's another part that I want you to include in every form of discipline. Anytime you file a grievance on discipline, you need to have this language in there in every single one. So new shop stewards, older shop stewards, whoever, have this language in there. It's EL921, and I'm going to read this in every single episode that I do about just calls. So that way you don't have to go back and say, what was that he asked about or what was that he told us about? This is it. EL921, Handbook Supervisor's Guide to Handling Grievances. EL921, Handbook Supervisor's Guide to Handling Grievances. is on page 26. And this is what it states. The definition of just cause varies from case to case. But arbitrators frequently divide the question of just cause into six sub-questions and often apply the following criteria to determine whether the action was for just cause. These criteria are the basic considerations that the supervisor uses before initiating disciplinary action. In my last episode, I talked about supervisor. And this is what it states. Discipline should not be issued if no is the answer to any of the questions. So this is the supervisor's guide to handling grievances. And it's saying that if you have an answer of no, to any one of the six sub-questions, discipline shouldn't be issued. Put that in, if you have a template, put this in your discipline template. It should start out every form of discipline, any grievance on discipline, it should start out with that and then get into your just cause principles. Okay? That's great language. Let's get into the very first sub-question. Of just cause. And I'll read the just cause principle again. It's on page 16.1. says, The principle that any discipline must be for just cause establishes a standard that must apply to any discipline or discharge of an employee. Simply put, the just cause provision requires a fair and provable justification for discipline. And we talked about fair and provable, right, in an early episode. Just cause is a term of art. Created by labor arbitrators, it has no precise definition. It contains no rigid rules that apply in the same way in each case of discipline or discharge. However, arbitrators frequently divide the question of just cause into six sub-questions and often apply the following criteria to determine whether these, the action was for just cause. These criteria are the basic considerations the supervisor must use before initiating disciplinary action. Here's the first one. Is there a rule? 99% of the time, you get discipline. A carry hands you discipline. That's where management stops. Is there a rule? And they're going to say yes. And you're going to get 50 rules. You're going to get rules in the letter of charges. You're going to get some more rules in the formal A contentions. There's, there's a rule for everything. Well, most things. And I'm going to get into that right now. Is there a rule? Then the next two words, if so. Why is that important? If so. Those two words. Because not everything is a rule. Not everything is a rule. Right? I had an arbitration. And y'all probably get tired of me hearing uh, me saying that. But I had an arbitration down south of here. And it was, it was a lady who uh, she was out on the street. Management was obviously targeting this lady. She was, she was up in age. They were after this, this lady. Sweet lady. I'm telling you, this was a sweetheart of a lady. And, and it makes you 
extremely angry <laughs> when you see how management has treated this care. Been with the post officer, I think, 50 years. A sweetheart of a woman, I'm telling you. If you had just seen this lady, you would have been pissed that management was messing with this woman. But they were. They were after her. And they terminated this lady. And so I go down and I'm representing her. And I get the case file. And I get the letter of charges. And I look at it. And I see this. It says, you're in violation of the zero tolerance policy on backing. So, right off the jump, I know that management's letter of charges is faulty because there's no such thing as a zero tolerance policy for backing. Just the verbiage of that lets you know that management has no idea what they're talking about. How in the hell am I going to park if I can't back? When I'm out delivering and I'm at a business, how in the hell am I going to park? I got to back. If I'm out somewhere and a truck pulls up and pulls right up to my bumper, What am I supposed to do? As far as I know, it says what you're supposed to do when you have to back, right? Look before backing. I think that's even in your vehicle, right? Isn't that that on our vehicle? Look before backing. It's in my vehicle. They put a strip in there. Look before backing. Well, if there's a zero tolerance policy against backing, then why in the hell are you going to put something in my vehicle that says look before backing? But anyway... So they have this zero tolerance policy of backing. So I know right off the jump, management screwed themselves. Then I'm going down and it says, you failed to have your headlights on. Well, when I look at this 4584, this street observation, y'all better have been watching her at nine o'clock at night. Because there's also no rule about me having my headlights on. It can be something that you suggest. But as far as I know, and I don't know everything, but there ain't no rule about me driving around with my headlights on at noon, right? So anyway, I go to the investigative interview, and I said, let's, let's see what we got on this zero tolerance policy on backing. The very first question it asked her was, are you aware of the policy or the zero tolerance policy on, and in all caps, absolutely no backing? That's what the question was. Are you aware of the zero tolerance policy against all caps? Absolutely no backing. So they're screaming it at us. (laughs) Absolutely no backing. So when we get into the, the, let me say this, the bad thing is she answered yes. Uh, That was the bad thing. Of course, that didn't hurt me at all because there is no policy. There's no rule against that. So I don't care how she answered it. But to me, the shop steward should have said, hold up just a second before you answer that. Show me some zero tolerance policy on backing. Let, let, let me see that. I've never seen it. As a shop steward, you can do that. Protect your carrier. Tell the carrier, hold up before you answer that. Let, let's take a peek at that zero tolerance policy. Anyway, that didn't happen, but it didn't hurt me anyway. But the carrier answered, yes, she's aware of the policy for zero, zero tolerance for backing. But anyway, get into the hearing, and that's the very first question that I asked this postmaster. I asked her, I said, ma'am, can you show the arbitrator, please, this policy that you're talking about, this zero tolerance policy against backing? And so she tells me, well, everybody knows that policy. I said, I didn't ask you what everybody knows. 
I asked you to show this arbitrator the policy against backing, the zero tolerance policy. Of course, she couldn't do it. The arbitrator asked her, why is there a reverse on the vehicle? <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. Obviously, he threw this out. But is there a rule? If so, that means not everything is a rule. We have to make sure that what management citing against us is a rule. And it's not something that they've come up with. Safety will come up with things all the time, like this headlights rule. There's no such thing. But safety will always come up with things. Because they want to be more important than they are. They're not important. So, make sure, where it says, is there a rule? If so, that's telling you, those two words are very important. If so, not everything's a rule. Make sure that it's a rule that is cited. Goes on. Was the employee aware of the rule? Here's where management screws up again. Was the employee aware of the rule? And what is most of the time when you get information that you requested, when they say, this care has been in what? Numerous stand-up talks. Numerous stand-up talks about this rule getting bit by a dog, slips, trips, and falls, proper dismount procedure, seat belts, all of these things. Management will always say, this carrier was at work when I gave this stand-up talk. What you do is you ask for that stand-up talk. Ask for a copy of the stand-up talk. Now, they're going to be able to produce one because in their safety toolkit that they use, they will have 8 million stand-up talks. So they're going to be able to give you some, even though they probably didn't give it to the carrier on the floor or any carriers on the floor. They will be able to produce, more than likely, a stand-up talk covering that. Everything is cut. There's, there's safety talks for everything you can think of. And they can produce one. That's not why we're requesting it. Why we're requesting it is for this next part. Okay. So, was the employee aware of the rule? And let me say this, because here's another thing. This is, this is more for the formal step A. This, this is more for formal step A when we get there. But here's what happens. You'll get a letter of charges, whatever it is. And they're going to have on there, the employee was in violation of these. M41, uh, ELM whatever, some kind of handbook that you've never heard of. The employee was in violation of these. First off, make sure that these were asked about in the investigative interview. If these wasn't asked about in the investigative interview, raise that contention. The employee was never given a chance to defend himself or herself against the, the charges cited, the contractual provisions cited. That's why we have an investigation, right? So how, can, how do you know that the employee was aware of the rule if you never asked him about the rule? Does that make sense? You get a letter of charges, and it's got five things on there, five rules, five ELM provisions or M41 provisions, and he was never asked about those in the investigative interview. Make that contention. 
Management never asked him if he was aware of these rules. That's the first just cause provision. Is there a rule? Is the employee aware of the rule? Formal A. When you get there to your meeting, what does management do? They're going to cite five or six more. My formal A here at management is a dimwit. And I'll get a removal notice. Of course, my formal A handles all that. And he, he contends against all this. But I handle any discipline that comes out of here goes to arbitration. I handle it because it's my house where I'm at. But he'll have you'll have the letter of charges has five or six provisions on there. When you get his contentions, he'll put ten more in there. I'm I'm fixing to deal with one right soon about this very thing. He's going to answer to that. But when it says is there a rule, was the employee aware of the rule? And you put those things in there to bolster your position, you're screwing your position. Because the carrier was never asked about those rules. Does that make sense? You have cited rules against the carrier that he was never asked about if he was aware of those. That's a violation of that just cause provision. And that EL book I told you about, that's a no. That's a no. He wasn't aware of the rule because you never asked him about it. In the investigative interview. That's how you ask me if I'm aware of a rule is in the investigative interview. So, was the employee aware of the rule? If they have rules cited in the letter of charges and he was never asked about those in the investigative interview, make that contention. The grievant was never asked about the rule cited if he was aware of them. It goes on to state, was the employee forewarned of the disciplinary consequences for failure to follow the rule? That's why you asked for the stand-up talks. Right there. If management tells you, this care was present during every stand-up talk that dealt with this rule. Say, give me that stand-up talk. Let me see it. It better tell the carrier, forewarn him of the disciplinary consequences for not obeying the rule. It better do that. If it doesn't, raise that contention. Management has cited in their contentions that the carry was present during the stand-up talk that covered this rule, but the stand-up talk never told him or her, it never forewarned them of the disciplinary consequences for failure to follow the rule. A stand-up talk is not a 16-2 discussion. We talked about that in discussions. A 16-2 discussion is where you're going to tell me about the rule and you're going to tell me the consequences for not obeying the rule. I think I told you earlier, it would go something like this. Corey, let's talk about your attendance. Okay. You, you're getting into the danger zone. Uh, let's look at your 3972. You've got quite a few absences right here, unexcused absences during this three or four month period. I don't buy any of that anyway. I don't buy months. So I'm just using this as an example. Three months period, you got six absences, Corey. <clears throat> you're, you're getting in the danger zone and, and we're going to have to address it with more than just a discussion if you don't correct it. You know, you're, you're leaning towards a, a letter of warning if you don't correct your attendance. Okay, Th that's how you say, is there a rule? Yeah, you got to be regular attendance. Here's the provisions that say that. Was the employer aware of the rule? Yes, in the 16-2 discussion, we went over the rules thoroughly with him. Was the employee forewarned of the disciplinary consequences for failure to follow the rule? Yes. In the discussion, I told him that if he didn't correct himself, that he's looking at, at possibly getting disciplined for that. 
That's what a 16-2 discussion is for. That's not what happens in a stand-up talk. You will never see somebody give a stand-up talk and say, hey, this is the rule here on on a proper dismount procedure. These are the things that you do. And if you don't do them, you're probably going to get disciplined for it. That that doesn't happen. Is, is there a rule? Make sure there's a rule. If so, two critical words. If so, make sure that there is a rule. Was the employee aware of the rule? How? How is he aware of the rule? Right? Look at that letter of charges. If they've got things on there that he was never asked about in his investigative interview, raise that contention that the carrier was not aware of the rule because he was never asked about it. He was never given a chance to, to answer if he was aware of the rule cited against him in the letter of charges. Was the employee forewarned of the disciplinary consequences for failure to follow the rule? A stand-up talk doesn't do it. Or a letter you hand me when I come back from missing a day of unscheduled absence or whatever, that doesn't do it. That doesn't meet that criteria. So, again, is there a rule? There are three parts to that. Management will always cite the first one. Is there a rule? Yes. Here's 20 rules. Don't let them get away with that. Don't let them get away with that. Okay? Hold them accountable for that. Is there a rule? If so, was the employee aware of the rule? Was the employee forewarned of the disciplinary consequences afraid to follow the rule? It is not enough to say, well, everybody knows that rule. That's what they're telling you when they say everybody was present for a stand-up talk. Or he was present in a stand-up talk. That's what they're saying. Well, everybody's aware of that. They're all here for a stand-up talk. It's not enough to say that. Or we posted that rule 10 years ago. Another thing that management likes to do, they'll go pull a rule off a bulletin board. Say, this has been up here for 10 years. That doesn't mean I ever looked at it. It doesn't mean I read it. Just because it's posted. I I don't ever read my bulletin board. Management's. I don't don't, don't think I've ever looked at it. Because I don't care about it. You need to tell me personally if you've got a problem with something I'm doing. goes on. You may have to prove that the employee should have known of the rule. Okay. Certain standards of conduct are normally expected in the industrial environment, and it is assumed by arbitrators that employees should be aware of these standards. And they're going to give you some examples. For example, an employee charged with intoxication on duty, fighting on duty, pilferage, sabotage, insubordination, etc., may be generally assumed to have understood that these offenses are neither condoned nor acceptable, even though management may not have issued specific regulations to that effect. And most arbitrators, I have one arbitrator, he says it's the any, any darn fool rule. He cited that against me one time. <laughs> I took offense to that. But he said it's the any darn, any darn fool rule. Any darn fool knows that rule is what he was saying. I still won that decision, or, or we did. It was, it was a removal. We still won it. But I was trying to talk about a rule that management didn't cite or was citing improperly. Management is improperly citing this rule against this gentleman. He had brought some mail back. His mother was having a medical emergency. And so he brings the mail back. He goes in and he tells a clerk, hey, look, I have to go now. My mom is having a medical emergency and I'm the only one she has. Would you please tell the the boss that I've got to go? And he leaves. Well, management cites the rule 
he abandoned his mail or that he, he didn't deliver all mail that he had for the day. The problem was other carriers delivered the mail. They were citing for willful delay of the mail. That's what it was. Willful delay of the mail. Well, the carriers all delivered the mail. He came back. He came back after he took care of his mother to deliver the mail and it was already delivered. So he couldn't have violated the rule that they talked about because he came back to deliver it and it was already delivered. Anyway, the arbitrator said, you know, willful delay of the mail is, is any darn fool rule. Well, he didn't willful delay of the mail. He told him what was happening and he came back to deliver it. Anyway, he brought the carrier back. That was a lot of nothing right there, I just told you. But anyway, it's, it's a great little episode, I think. I think that that's a lot of, a lot of meat right there that we have on is there a rule. A lot of good stuff. If you're a new steward, that should help you out a lot. I think those are good things that we can look at that, unfortunately, as an advocate, you'll see if you ask a lot of advocates, they'll tell you those are basic things that we miss quite often and we shouldn't be. Those are easy things, but hope that helps you out a little bit. Uh, The next one is, is the rule a reasonable rule? That'll be extremely short episode, but I'm going to do each just cause provision as its own episode. So hopefully this helps you out. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't subscribed. I'm supposed to say that. I don't know if it costs anything to subscribe. Maybe you just push a button. I don't know. But subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Leave a comment. Leave a rating. Whatever we want. Like I said, you can't hurt my feelings. I'm not an expert, and I'll tell you that. I'm just on here trying to help people out. So is there a rule? Make sure. Make sure there's a rule. All right? And if so... What are we supposed to do? Hold management accountable for that, okay? Y'all take care of your brothers and sisters out there. They're relying on you. Is there a rule? That's a great one. Y'all have a fantastic rest of the day. And I'll see y'all on the next episode. And we'll cover is the rule a reasonable rule. We'll get down on that. All right? Y'all take care of yourselves. Have a fantastic rest of the day. And I'll talk to you on the other side. Bye-bye.